turning a pillow into a pillar. There is a great truth in this story in Genesis 28 that I hope you will get and live out in the days to come. Jacob was exiled from home. He was fleeing from the murderous resentment of his brother Esau. He was out under the stars, remote from human habitation, all because of sin. And they say there are pleasures in sin. When we really get down to the bottom line, there's a lot of heartache in rebellion, isn't there? There's a lot of pain when we decide to do it our own way rather than God's way. Even, however, in a state like Jacob was in, God reaffirms his promise. And this is what excites me about this story. Some of you have come to church today or are watching us by television feeling that God is down on you. There is no hope. What you have done is unforgivable. You cannot ever do it right. You have tried and tried again, and it will never work. I have good news for you today. Jacob was in that same state of affairs. Yet in verse 13 of Genesis 28, God spoke to this fugitive and said, The land you sleep on is yours. Now, why would God reaffirm that promise when he was so disobedient? When he was running from his family and running from reality? He had given to Abraham in verse 14 of chapter 13 that promise about the land. He reaffirmed it to Isaac in chapter 26, verses 1 through 5, and now says to Jacob in this state of running, this land is yours. How gracious God is. It leads me to say further that we need to underscore the fact that the Holy Land belongs to the Jews. Now, that does not mean we are against the Ishmaelites. It does not mean we are against other people that may inhabit parts of the Holy Land. But if we are to be true to the historical record of God's Word, we must say the Holy Land belongs to the Jews. God has made a covenant. He signed that covenant, and he intends to keep that covenant. And we are to pray for Jerusalem. We are to remember God's people, Israel. Then in verse 14, God said, The seed of Jacob will be as the dust of the earth. Now that's remarkable because Jacob wasn't even married. And yet God said, your seed will be as the dust of the earth. And today there are Jews at every point of the compass. If you took a map and put your finger anywhere, you would be touching somewhere where a Jew lives. I guarantee you that. 
God is faithful to his word. In spite of Jacob's rebellion and running, God said, your seed will be as the dust of the earth. In verse 15, there is another promise to this fugitive. He said, I will give you my presence. Though Jacob had to reap the consequences of his sin, God was saying, I am still with you. I have not forsaken you. I have not turned my back on you. I am still with you. Now, friends, everywhere we look, it is evident that God's ways are not our ways, nor his thoughts our thoughts. God works according to his sovereign will and his sovereign pleasure. Jacob had been guilty of deceit. He was fleeing the wrath of his brother, driven by his own guilt. Who would have thought that under such circumstances one would be honored with one of the most wonderful manifestations of God's love ever shown to a human being. But this is exactly the revelation of both Old and New Testaments, that when we are the lowest, God will be there to impart unto us one of the most marvelous manifestations of his grace and power that we could ever imagine. That's what excites me about this service today that some of you have felt low and rejected and despised, but in that moment, God wants you to realize it is, his, it is his opportunity to turn your pillow into a pillar and make something of your life. In the New Testament, Paul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of our Lord. He was literally a madman against the church of Jesus Christ. He himself said, boasted of it, I was a blasphemer and injurious and a persecutor. Yet on the road to Damascus, with letters of authority in his hand to bring more of these Christians into bondage and death, he was arrested by the grace of God. He had a vision of the very one he was seeking to destroy, namely Jesus Christ. In the lowest moment, earthly speaking, the Lord Jesus manifested himself to that man on that road. Hallelujah. And I'm wondering who today he is going to single out and say, I'm going to touch that man, that woman, that young person, in spite of their past, I am going to give them a manifestation of my love, of my power, and of my grace. I believe he's going to do it. Now, the back of your bulletin is designed to write down the outline of our messages. What I have just shared with you would be introduction. There are two major points, and then at the conclusion... I'm going to give you seven P's to live with, to apply the truth of Genesis 28. So the first major point we call the communications of God's grace. I don't know if you've ever analyzed through what circumstances God speaks 
to men, but I have boiled it down to two. The communications of God's grace. First of all, curiosity. Zacchaeus is an example in Luke 19 of curiosity. Zacchaeus heard about Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead and that he was going to be in Jericho one day. This crook, thief, despised by his fellow man, tax-collecting chief, Zacchaeus, wanted to see Jesus. Why would a man in that state want to see Jesus? One word alone, curiosity. And you all know the little line, curiosity killed the cat. Well, curiosity has brought more people into a relationship with the Lord than you would dare to believe. One of our associates was talking to me this morning about a wedding he conducted yesterday away from the church. And most of the people there were non-church people. But how many of them knew about what was happening here at Capital Christian Center? The word was curious. Asking questions, making comments. The word is getting around that Jesus Christ is alive and touching the lives of men. Now, I will just prophesy right now that some of those people will be here one of these days soon. Curiosity will lead them here to see what makes this place tick. This week, my secretary buzzed me and said, a certain reporter for the Bee would like to talk to you. Well, I got acquainted with him through the moral majority issue, which brought more letters to the paper than they'd ever received from a religious article. He said, would you allow me someday to follow you around for a day, to sit in a service? He said, I want to see what makes you tick. I would like permission to do an article about you. I said, well, help yourself. We'll take all the publicity we can get. What's going on? Curiosity. What puts the lives of people together? What put Zacchaeus up in that sycamore tree on the road to Jericho? Curiosity. What brought him down from the limb of that tree? The graciousness of Jesus Christ who looked up and said, Come down, Zacchaeus. Out of that tree he came. For this day his salvation comes to your house. Salvation? I never came up into this tree for salvation. I just wanted to see who you were, what you looked like, who this healer was. But that day, out of the curiosity of Zacchaeus, salvation came to his house. How many of you are here because of curiosity? You saw an ad, you heard a word, you picked up a note on the radio or on the television, and you thought, well, I'll try it once. You're in danger. 
But it's the good kind of danger. Many have gone to some place but for the gratification of their curiosity and have been visited by a voice from heaven. Hallelujah. Now, the second summary word, in my opinion, of the communications of God's grace is affliction. I will just sum all of God's dealings up in those two words, curiosity and affliction. From a hospital bed, from a rock or a pillow on the desert, a situation beyond human control, God has communicated again and again and again his grace and his love. It's like Isaiah the prophet in chapter 65 and verse 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. Out of various circumstances, we have cried like Jacob, this is the house of God, this is the gate of heaven. When the affliction came, when the problem hit us between the eyes, our tendency was to throw up our hands in despair, but out of it we heard a voice. This is the house of God. We were able to say, this is the gate of heaven. This is good for me. I had a friend come to me some time ago and said, cancer has been good for me. Do you believe that? Those were his very words. Cancer has been good for me. Now, I hate cancer. I've had to deal with it all of my ministry with people, and it's always, in my opinion, a devilish thing. So destructive. But if we believe the Bible, Romans 8, is still here for us, Verse 28, if we love God, if we are the called according to his purpose, we will have to confess all things work together for our good. Here was a man who was able to say, cancer has been good for me. He was really saying, this cancer has become the house of God and the gate of heaven for my life. I know God better now than I've ever known him before. That's what happened to Jacob. That's what turned his pillow into a pillar. When God appeared to him, he recognized that through that affliction, he was going to be a better man. God was going to be faithful to him. Out of this situation, God was to be praised, and Jacob was to grow. All of you perhaps know the name Johnny Erickson, the paraplegic who at 18 dove into a lake, broke her neck, severed her spinal cord, wanted to die. Billy Graham has put it into a marvelous film, and she's written the book titled Johnny. Lovely young lady traveling in her wheelchair all over the world, telling people that that accident was good for her. 
It brought her to Christ. It brought her to a place of service and usefulness. If Johnny Erickson could sit here in her wheelchair today, she would say to you, God does everything well. He is sovereign in his dealings with humankind. And the name Corrie Ten Boom, the hiding place, put into prison by the Nazis. Her father died. Her sister, so close to her, Betsy, died. You've seen the film. It will be on television June the 26th, Friday night, Channel 13, prime time, 9 to 11 o'clock, uninterrupted, no commercials. At the end, an appeal, our phones will be open and placed on the screen, and we will lead people to Christ following the story of Corey Ten Boom, which is a story of pain, separation, death, deprivation. But Corey Ten Boom would say, God has been good to me. I wrote a hundred letters asking for certain people to support that film because it cost $13,000 to get it on television here for those two hours. If I missed you in my letter and you'd like to contribute, be my guest. We need your help. But I believe in it sufficiently, and the Billy Graham office has asked us to raise this money on the local level, and I believe it's going to touch many, many lives. Out of affliction, God makes himself known. In Jacob's case, suddenly the guilt is dissipated. Peace flows into his heart. He's able to move to Laban's house, and the process of God's dealing in his life is set into motion because he recognized through his affliction the communications of God's grace. He opened to him. Now the second major point of this story deals with the response of Jacob to God's grace. The Bible says he rose up early in the morning and took the stone which he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was called Luz at the first. Now, in reading ahead in the Genesis account, you will come to chapter 31 and verse 13, which separates chapter 28 by 20 years. When you come to the 13th verse of the 31st chapter, 20 years have passed. At that point, after Jacob had labored and got Leah by the deceit of Laban and worked seven more years for Rachel, whom he loved, and six more years to get his things in order, God appeared to Jacob again and reminded him of this very circumstance that we are looking at in chapter 28. And I was so excited when I saw in the Scripture, chapter 31, verse 13, what God said to Jacob after 20 years. This is what he said. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. 
When I saw that, God spoke to this preacher's heart, and he said, Preacher, you had better remember the visitations that I give you. You had better be grateful for the things that I do in your life. You need to honor me in every area of your life, for I never forget a vow that's made to me. God said, I'm the one who visited you at Bethel, where you anointed us to kill it. Now, friends, Luz means a place of almonds, of carnal delights. That's why it was changed to Bethel. The place was called Bethel, but at the first Luz, because it meant carnal delights. There were many pleasures in Luz. You see, we are like Jacob. We are content to deal with the carnal things of this life. We are content to coast along. But God spoke to Jacob and said, This is the place of visitation. This is Bethel. And remember my visitation from generation to generation. It is a warning to the church of the living God. We must be always at the altar of consecration. We must always have a place of dedication. We must always be in the place of appreciation and remembrance of what God has done in our past. If we forget, we lose. Now you see, that's why God gave us the communion. What did Jesus say? This do in remembrance of me. Every time we come to the table of the Lord, we come to a pillar. We anoint that pillar. It's a place of remembering the victory of Calvary. Our sins were dealt with. Our sicknesses were dealt with. Our weaknesses were dealt with. There is a pillar. That communion table is a reminder of the God of Bethel who says, I will meet you there. Hallelujah. Why is it that when the announcement is made of a communion service, People find excuses not to come, and they walk in and see the table and say, Oh, no, not another communion, sir. My dear friends, this is our Bethel. This is where God confirms his presence and his power and his life to us. You need that communion. If you are not here at the communion tonight, I feel sorry for you because there's healing there, there's power there, there's life there, and it will be imparted to all who come to this communion tonight before our Brother Brown preaches the word to us. It is like that pillar on the desert that Jacob anointed with oil. We are remembering, we are rehearsing, we are recounting the things of God. We do it in remembrance of him. Jacob further remembered by vowing to give a tenth of everything he had to God. The last verse, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth unto you. What is the offering? It's remembering. It's saying, God, I know that I have been given strength to work by you, a mind to think with by you. I have been blessed with what I have by you. I put my offering in to remember that I cannot 
live this life by myself. I don't even have a breath unless you give it to me. I don't have a day's time unless you give it to me. I don't have a future unless you give it to me. Nothing I have is of myself. It's all you, God. So here is my love gift to you. I thank you, God, for blessing me. Here is your tithe and my offering. Long before Moses ever knew anything about the tithe, Abraham and Jacob knew about it because it was a response from their hearts, a gratitude expression because of the faithfulness of God. That's how you turn a pillow into a pillar. Israel contributed towards the erection of the tabernacle and the temple. They stripped themselves of their ornaments in order to furnish those sacred places with vessels for the service of their God. They gave sacrificial. David was not permitted to build the temple, but contributed millions of dollars himself for the preparing of the materials. A poor widow who had but one farthing in the world gave it to her Lord and was commended for doing so by Jesus a way of remembering. The message is so clear. Lose no time in honoring your God to the utmost of your power. Say within yourself what the psalmist said in chapter 116, verse 12, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits? What can I give to God for all he has given to me? I can begin with the communion. I can proceed to the giving of my offerings. I can move from there to dedicated service. Whatever, God, I am privileged to do, I do it in thanksgiving for your blessings to me. Hallelujah. You want to know why some of you are weak spiritually and you struggle to hold on and to get through? Because you do not render to God the things that are God's. You steal from God here with time. You steal from God here with money. You steal from God here with talent. You're giving it elsewhere instead of to him. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits? I've been touched by this account in Genesis 28. Jacob's response to God's grace, it was one of giving. What can I do for you, Lord? How can I be what you want me to be, Lord? And 20 years later, God speaks to this man and says, I'm the Lord of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Will God see you through? You'd better believe he will see you through. Will God take you by the hand and lead you through the valley? Yes, he will lead you through the valley. If you anoint that pillar with oil, if you say, Oh, Holy Spirit, here is my commitment, here is my vow, God will see you through. And years later, he will remind you that he's still the God of the anointed pillar. Jacob turned his pillow into a pillar. A traveler years ago was being rowed across the Mississippi River by an old black he was surprised when the boatman dropped his oars suddenly and sprang to his feet in great excitement and shouted, Look, look, there's the captain. 
As the traveler looked up the river, he saw a sloop coming down the river with a man leaning against the mast. This was the captain at whom the black was frantically waving his hat. The curious traveler said, Who is this man? What has he ever done for you? The answer was, Well, he's the man that saved me. I fell into the water, and he jumped in and flung his arms around me and saved me. Then he added, I'd just like to be a slave for him all my life. Only my rheumatism's so bad, I, I ain't no good. He runs by here once a month, and I watch for him, and I love to point him out. Ain't he the kindest-looking man you ever saw? I just love to point him out. Well, my friends, that is the relationship that every one of us needs with our Lord. He saved us. When we were sinking deep in sin, he threw his arms around us. When we were out on the desert with a stone for a pillow, he visited us. He saved us. He lifted us up. He gave us promises and assurances. And I just love him, don't you? I praise him, don't you? I'm indebted to him, aren't you? He's everything to me. He came to me. No one else would come to me. Jacob's way of dedicating himself to God was to take what he had, which in that case was a pillow of stone, and consecrate it before the Lord. Now, I don't know what you have, but I ask you today to take it, whatever it is, and consecrate it as a pillar unto the Lord. Anoint it in this service by the power of God's Holy Spirit. There are two courses and two alone open to us today. One is peace and prosperity. The other is punishment and spiritual poverty. It says in 1 Corinthians 11.32 that God chastens us that we should not be condemned with the world. That God brings us to places in our lives so that we will not be condemned. It was true with Jacob. God brought him to that desert place that Jacob would not be condemned with the world, but that God could visit him in his extremity, and he would turn that pillow into a pillar. Now, here are the seven Ps that I want you to get. How to do it. What to practice every day. The first is persevere. Some of you have tried before. You need to try again. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark. Philippians 3.13. Pull yourself away from the enemy's fire. Many suffer from spiritual chills at the enemy's fire. The devil's dice are loaded. Don't play with them. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Hebrews 12, 2, turn your back on the past. If you had a marriage failure, it's back there. You can't do anything now about it. Move into the future, looking unto Jesus. If you had a business failure, it's behind you. Look unto Jesus. If you had a problem yesterday, that was yesterday. Look unto Jesus. Persevere. Move ahead with God's 
power and presence. That's what Jacob did when he turned his pillow into a pillar. He persevered. He moved ahead. And God blessed him. The second P is pray. How little we pray. Philippians 4, 6, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. How many times have people asked me, Pastor, should I ask more than once? Well, you'd better believe I do. God is not hurt by our much asking. He is not embarrassed. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests, plural, it's more than one. Whatever you have need of, somebody said little with God, little for God. Backsliding begins in the knees. How do you whip the devil? You whip him on your knees. You pray. And God comes to the prayer. God comes to the one who sees that ladder extending to heaven. He sees angels ascending and descending and standing at the top of the ladder is the Lord himself saying, I'm there. Talk to me. Let me know what your faith will allow. Pray. The third P is proclaim. You can't be a silent partner with God. Romans 9.33 says, He that believeth shall not be ashamed. Some of you are suffering spiritual plague because you are ashamed of your master. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It doesn't seem to me that the world is ashamed of their cursing. Why, it's on television now. And it's all over the streets and in the offices and the shops. They take the name of the Lord in vain. They curse. They tell their smutty stories. Why should we be ashamed to proclaim the victory that is ours through Jesus Christ? Let's start talking about Jesus. Let's start talking about his miracles. Let's start proclaiming his love. When you proclaim... The blessing of God will flow into your life. You can never, never, never fail when you proclaim the things of God because they become a part of you. They become a part of your very being. Eliezer in the book of Samuel wielded the sword against the Philistines and every time he stuck the sword in a Philistine, the sword embedded itself further into his hand. So the Bible says when the battle was over, Eliezer sat down to rest, but his hand clave under the sword. He couldn't let it go because he had used it so well. Whenever you proclaim, it becomes a part of you and you cannot, you cannot let it go. Hallelujah. The fourth is peruse. P-E-R-U-S-E. Peruse the word. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Feed yourself. The Bible will tell you what's the matter with you. But it will also tell you how to get well, and it will tell you how to stay well. Isn't that neat? It's all in this book. When you open it, you can say, Lord, you authored it. Teach me what I need to know from this passage. 
speak to my heart. Sometimes it's like a mirror revealing bad things. But other times it's like the prescription from a doctor telling you how to get well and stay that way. You need the word. Fifth, pay, P-A-Y. Freely ye have received, freely give, Matthew 10, 8. The Lord has promised to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Those windows are locked tight when the tithes are not brought into the storehouse. The tithe is God's cure for covetousness. The millionaires of eternity are the givers of time. I am praying that God will give us a million-dollar gift in our building program. There are people who can do that. But I'm also praying that there will be many who give the dollar, for the dollar will be a sacrifice to them. But they will learn the joy of giving. They will bring to the Lord that which they can sacrificially present for the building of his house and the witness of his name. We will pay, and when we pay, God opens the windows of heaven. It is an automatic. It has been proven over and over and over and over again to me. I could stand here and tell you time and time again when I've written out a check far beyond my tithe and before the week was over it was back in my hands. Didn't ask for it. Didn't anticipate it. It was just there. I wrote out my check this week for $250 for our building program trying to keep up with my commitment. In the mail the other day, I opened an envelope, and inside was a check for $250 made out to me. Didn't expect it. Came from a city far from here. Why? When you learn that God is bigger than you are, he can start doing some marvelous things in your life. Learn how to pay. Jacob learned that when he was visited there on that desert and he said, Lord, whatever you give me from now on, a tenth of it is yours. Just count on it, God. And he never reneged. And God blessed him with cattle, camels, servants, children, blessing beyond compare. The sixth P is praise. Psalm 63.3, my lips shall praise thee continually. A man owned a small estate and wished to sell it, so he called for a real estate agent, and the agent decided to write up an advertisement for the papers. Before he took it to the paper, he let the owner read it, and when he read it, he said, I don't think I want to sell it. I've been looking for a place like that all my life and didn't know I had it. And that's so much like all of us. That's why the psalmist said, my lips shall praise thee continually. It's that way with our blessings. We've had them every day and taken them for granted. Too many are crying, God, be merciful, who never cry. God, be praised. It's about time we started to cry. God, be praised. He's never failed at once. 
let's be praising people. Giving is the gold of your purse. Praising is the gold of your lips. When you begin to praise, you'll have an ocean to swim in when God knows you're grateful. And the last P I want to suggest to you today is participate. There is an association of believers for fellowship, prayer, planning, training, and giving in the church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I do not say this because I'm a pastor. I say this because I believe in it totally. You need to wrap your life around the church today like never before. We are living in days when we need one another. We're going to need the strength of one another. You need every service this church provides. You need the Bible study. You need everything this church opens its door to you for. You need everything. And I adjure you in the name of the Lord to participate. Don't be out there looking in. I wouldn't miss tonight for the world. I would not be found anywhere else. The people of God are going to gather together. The communion table will be prepared. The man of God is here to bring the message of God to our hearts. We will be better after tonight than we were when this day started. If we participate with God, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the Lord. The day of the end of what we know as our time here on this planet. The day when Jesus will come for his own. So much the more. My heart is burdened for those of you who seem to find no time for those things that will bring growth and development in your spiritual life. I want you to go with me to a pillar of stone in a desert place where a man running from God was accosted by angels and by the Lord himself and was given the opportunity to anoint the stones as a pillar to God and had a new beginning in his life. God gives you that opportunity today. Let's bow our heads in prayer.